and welcome to what is officially the first episode of Coffee and Cannabis. Joining me in this episode is none other than Matthew O'Brien. Matthew is the founder and editor-in-chief of weekly blog 4PM, where he offers a creative, informative approach to cannabis industry news. In the episode, we talk about things like how we'll begin differentiating between cannabis and cannabinoids, will future consumers start moving away from higher THC products, and how the cannabis industry can strengthen its image as a wellness industry. Please enjoy. Matthew O'Brien, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Alex. Glad to be here. I'm happy to have you, man. We we always have good discussions, um, and I'm, I'm happy you decided to come on and, and chat a little bit more. Um, about kind of your yourself, what you're up to these days. Um, we've talked quite a bit about 4 p.m. Um, what's what kind of remind everybody where you sort of came from, how you got involved in to the cannabis space, and what you're up to now? Yeah, for sure. Um, so for myself, my journey in cannabis started what is now just over three years ago. Um, at the time, I was in Ireland. I came across a book called Narconomics. And um, within that, I just found this really interesting argument as to why we need to effectively embrace the legalization of all substances from an economic standpoint. And to me, it was just such a sort of opposite worldview versus that of what I'd previously been exposed to living like in a, in a very rural part of Ireland, whereby, you know, most sort of people's perspectives is, is quite conservative, like they're very dogmatic when it comes to religion and et cetera, et cetera. And just be presented with such a, a solid argument as to why we effectively need to do the opposite of what we're currently doing. I don't know, like I, I was just extremely curious as to what that might actually look like if, if ever such a principle was actually put into practice. And with that, I moved to Vancouver um, in 2017. Uh, well, started off actually on the, the eastern side of Canada and eventually made mm -hmm. my way out west, but started butt tending in a store. And honestly, I'd say within about like, two days working in the store. I just knew this was the industry I wanted to work in for the rest of my life. And with that, was able to move up the ranks, started managing stores, eventually started managing a processing facility. And then for the last employer I worked for, uh, I was head of inventory for what was at the time the, the largest retail chain in the, the Western half of Canada. Wow. And then I left that job in 2019 to focus on my own startup. And then I started 4 p.m. I think just over three months ago. That's that's fantastic. And what what led you? I mean, what kind of? You said you you knew it was the industry that you wanted to be in. What what about it made you really enjoy it or really kind of gain that that passion for it? Yeah, um, it's a great question. Like one I ask myself quite a lot. Mm. I think first and foremost, it was the value which I myself was obtaining from cannabis. And like mm. I, I should really emphasize, like. I was the most uneducated person on day one working in a cannabis retail store. Like, you know, if, if you would asked me what is CBD or THC, I would have looked at you like you had three heads. So as a starting point, like I literally knew jack shit about cannabis. And I think that's really important to emphasize because for me, like getting to the point which I'm at now has been a journey and like I've learned a lot along the way. But I really came into the industry like knowing nothing with no sort of preconceived ideas as to what cannabis was or was not. Mm -hmm. And when I started consuming CBD, I just found that the effects were so positive from myself in the sense that like it just allowed me to focus. I just felt so much calmer. It honestly felt like I just, you know, ran for a 5K and was sort of um, enjoying like a runner's <laughs> high thereafter. Right. And for, for me, yeah, as I said, that, that was the starting point. And um, it took me about, I'd say about three weeks to even sort of open up to the idea of consuming THC. Mm -hmm. 
and I was fortunate that my brother Sam was actually managing a store uh, in Vancouver at the time. So he kind of gave me like a good introductory to, you know, how to actually consume cannabis safely for lack of a right. better term. Right. And I started consuming like one-to-one ratio uh, products to, to start with. Um, it was kind of funny because I was sort of the, the CBD guy in store uh, in spite of the fact that, you know, today I'd like to think I'm sort of a lot more in favor of THC versus right. just CBD as an isolated product. But um, yeah, honestly, it, it really kind of came down to the value which I myself was getting from the product and sort of as an extension of that, the value the customers I was I was serving were obtaining from cannabis. And it was just so apparent that, you know, there was such a variety of different use cases for cannabis. Mm-hmm. And to me, this was just a whole new world because what I was sort of thought at a very early age was that cannabis is this very harmful substance. And if you consume it, you will just become, you know, perpetually lazy for the rest of your right, life. Right. And seeing people actually, you know, use cannabis in a way which was obviously, you know, delivering the, the sort of opposite yeah. value functionally. as to what I was sort of, f- functionally, 100%. Yeah. And um, yeah, I, I know I'm sort of on, on a riff here, but to, to really sort of get back to the question, it was really mm-hmm. just down to the value I was obtaining and the value that the customers who I was serving was was getting from cannabis. Yeah, and at the time when when people would come into the store, you you think it was predominantly people looking for, for THC products? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I still, I think it's pretty apparent that's, that's still the case today. Mm-hmm. Um, now, at the same time, I think a lot of people at that point in time are like, probably still is true today, were very sort of uneducated as to the value of consuming CBD. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I don't think there's a, I think there's a very good argument to be made that the best version of cannabis is a cannabis product that likely has, you know, an equal ratio of CBD to THC. I agree. In the sense that if you look back historically um, as to the types of cultivars um, that sort of existed, like, it wasn't up until, you know, maybe about four decades back, like 40 years ago, whereby we really started like selectively selectively breeding cannabis cultivars to produce the highest THC percentages. Mm-hmm. And like with that, it has become a very different product. And I, I'm not an individual who will in any way suggest that like consuming cannabis is, is anywhere near sort of the, the level of toxicity as a substance like alcohol or mm-hmm. cocaine or any other substance, what have you. However... I do think that the overemphasis that's been placed on THC is creating this like very sort of unusual circumstances whereby it's as if we're trying to emphasize perhaps, you know, the most dangerous version of cannabis. Now, that's not to say it's dangerous, but it hasn't. Mm-hmm. As opposed to, you know, educating consumers that if you consume, you know, an equal ratio, it doesn't even have to be an equal ratio, but just incorporate some amount of CBD into your consumption of, of THC, mm-hmm. you know, it lessens the negative effects. There's there's right. no hangover. The likelihood of, you know, having paranoia is reduced. If ever you're, you're too high from consuming THC, you can literally just consume, you know, a small quantity of CBD and it'll reduce the the sort of the, the paranoia and, and all the other negative effects that sort of come along with it. So I just think it's a case of there's, there's a huge miseducation within the industry as the value of consuming both molecules hand in hand as opposed to you know a lot of people sort of argue it, it's one or the other i actually think that the, the best version of cannabis is both mm. yeah and you you made a really good point about the the cannabis that used to be around and let's say um the cannabis that the you know the peoples in the 60s and 70s were smoking and it was predominantly lower ratio of THC there was more CBD in it and now we've selectively bred the plants to be much higher in THC but disproportionately 
low CBD, which, like you said, can counteract some of those negative effects. So I, I do find it really interesting that the the consumer, because of its its illegality, have more went towards those very very high THC strains. Um, right. And as you alluded to before, for the most part today, the consumers are still looking for those high THC strains. But there is an increased demand for CBD products. If you look at, I believe it was the 2019 OCS consumer data, the most searched for term was CBD, and the second was CBD oil, which just goes to show you that there's a lot of interest. But I think for a lot of people, it can be harder to stick to and, let's say, um, realize the value that you're getting from it because it can be a, a little bit imperceptible. You mentioned that you did start on a CBD regimen at some point. For for you, did you have a, a method of consumption, a dose that you found worked? How long did it take for you to find benefit, if any? Yeah. Um, to be honest, I'd say day one. Day one in terms really? of um, when I actually noticed that the benefits and it was a, it was a 20 milligram uh, whole plant capsule. Mm. And to me, I, I should emphasize, like, I have a very sort of high sensitivity to any substances. Mm. Like, if I consume, like, a very minuscule amount of just about anything, it's going to it's gonna induce <laughs> stronger effects versus, you know, the general populace. Right. But for me, 20, 20 milligrams was, like, the optimum dosage. However, the problem with consuming CBD in an isolated format is that it doesn't take long to actually build up a tolerance mm. to just CBD, such that at a certain point in time, like you do have to have a willingness to incorporate in some quantity of THC or sort of alternatively just take tolerance doses or tolerance breaks rather. And yeah, 20 milligrams was perfect. I'd say that was like the perfect dosage for, I would estimate about two weeks. And I think about after that point, mm. I sort of noticed that the there was sort of a diminishing return on the same dosage, at which point in time, I did have to start consuming a greater quantity to get the same result. Mm. With that, it did become like quite expensive, which is why around that same time, I sort of did have a greater willingness to incorporate in a certain amount of THC. Like I, I know there's a there's a lot of literature out there which suggests that you know consuming THC somewhat like resets the CB uh, sorry the receptor sites which CBD binds with. Interesting. I don't know is that true. Right. Um, for, for me personally, I think it's just a case of you know when you are consuming THC, it's probably just hitting a different set of receptors within the body, mm. as opposed to, you know, only hitting the same receptors time and time again until such point as, you know, you're probably just overacting, overactivating right. those receptors. I know there's a specific term for that, but down regulation. Not coming top of mind. Yeah. Down regulation. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. So as you continue to to bind to those receptors, your your body starts to produce less of those receptors, meaning that you're going to need a larger quantity to get the same effects. And over time, as you continue to, to downregulate those receptors, that that's that's basically tolerance. That's what that means, right? <laughs> that that is my understanding. Yeah. We're, we're, whereas CBD, I think my understanding is that it doesn't actually bind to any specific receptors okay. in the sense that it, it more so enhance. Um, endogenous cannabinoids like uh, anandamide and 2-AG right uh, that, that is my understanding but I'm, I'm very open to correction on that because um there are certainly individuals who are far uh, greater experts in that sort of domain versus that of myself but yeah started consuming THC and then mm. I noticed that like it alongside CBD produced a far more optimal result versus that mm. of CBD on its own at a certain point in time but just sort of in the curiosity of experimentation I did try like, consuming like high THC products mm -hmm. And for me, the problem is that it, it didn't produce a desirable state in that I found it, you know, very sort of intoxicating. And like, it, it's a word, mm. you know, seldom that's sort of associated with cannabis, like intoxicating. It's a term sort of more 
readily reserved for the consumption of alcohol. But for me, like if I was to take like two hits out of a joint of like a white death, we'll call it like twenty four percent THC, sure. like that that was that was my day done. At that yeah. point in time, you know, I was gonna be sitting in the couch, paranoid out of my fucking head for right. the rest of the day. And at the end of that, I would feel almost hung over. Mm. And to me, that that is a I don't know is that the same with everyone. Mm-hmm. But to me, it sort of raised this question as to how and why other individuals were choosing this over the alternative. Mm. Now, I do think back to the original point of, or back to one of the points you made as regards the downregulation effect. Mm. I do think at a certain point in time, you know, if you consistently consume high THC products, that level of paranoia does sort of erode over time. And then it is the equivalent of consuming a lower dose of THC. Right. But the question I would ask there is, why not start with that in the first place? Mm. Like, why do you have to get to such a point whereby, you know, because there is such a, a downregulation effect um, that the actual outcome of you consuming that quantity of THC is on par with consuming a lesser dosage? Like, why not just start with a lesser dosage mm-hmm. and then work towards maintaining that? Because, like, even from a, even from a, an, a, to do a budget standpoint, mm. like Especially. It, it's, it makes far more sense to, to, to consume a smaller quantity right. than a larger quantity. I, I totally agree. And I found that a lot when I worked on the medical side that a lot of patients, so we always started patients off with oil only and CBD only. And we always tried to find them the cheapest LP, LPs that had compassionate pricing. We tried to make it as affordable as possible. But even then, a lot of them found that it was too expensive to maintain compared to their prescription medications like their opioids, which they could afford because it had mm. coverage. Um, and that that's a whole other topic, but coverage for cannabis really kind of emphasizes the importance of medical. Um, and if you are you know using this for medical purposes and you need it regularly, so let's say let's say in the case of pain in chronic pain and you're trying to manage your chronic pain, you can't really have um, you know a week long tolerance break. Um, that's really not, it's not an option for a lot of people. Um, so like you said, starting with CBD, introducing THC when you need to, um, I think is important, but what, there there are a lot of limitations to using a CBD oil as well. Um, and I'm curious as to your experience with capsules, because at least for, again, um, a large amount of our patients is they would take a CBD oil, CBD capsule. And it sometimes it wouldn't work. And one one infamous case, I, I pick on this poor lady um, quite a few times using anecdotes, but it, it really raised a good point. She came in and she said, you know, you've prescribed me. It was 20 milligrams three times a day, and I'm not feeling anything. I'm not getting any benefit. This is snake oil. You've lied to me. Um, you know, this isn't real. And we, myself and the doctor kind of sat down and said, okay, well, what could it be? And my first question was, okay, well, what, what, do, you, what do you eat in a day? Um, because you have to remember that CBD is a fat-soluble compound. And if it's not nanoemulsified um, by a carbohydrate, by which it can kind of uh, bypass uh, fat and lipid digestion, if you're not eating enough or if you're not eating a fatty enough food, you're going to get a significantly less uh, amount of absorption. So when I asked her, I said, well, okay, what do you eat in a day? And she said, Pepsi. And... <laughs> I hesitated and then I said, okay, what else? And she said, mm, that's sometimes crackers. And just ignoring the, the, the blatant unhealthiness of her diet, it really showed you that, okay, there, there are other factors in here. So once we had her start taking um, 
her CBD oil with almond butter and with cheese and with more fatty products. She said it, it was night and day. She actually started to notice benefits. Very interesting. Um, so in terms of the future of CBD products, I could see there being a higher demand for beverages. I could see there being a higher demand for um, CBD vaporizers, right? Um, so it'll be interesting to see kind of the evolution of where the cannabis industry meta, let's call it, evolves. Um, and right. so, something we've talked about before, and this goes back to our point of there not being a really big demand for, for current consumers for CBD products. Where do you see the current state of cannabis use and cannabis products versus the, the future consumers and what um, the next level of consumers, let's say, are going to be looking after? How, how does that look for you? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's a really important point from from the perspective of understanding like the current category of consumers who are actually purchasing cannabis. Mm -hmm. I think that for the most part, like just correlating the fact that like 75% of, of all the cannabis purchased in the recreational or adult use market in Canada is dried flour. Mm -hmm. I think it's fair to say that like that, that is a certain category of consumers. They have a willingness to, to smoke dried herb to experience the effects of cannabis. However, I think over time that the market share or the percentage of market share that dried flour represents is going to significantly decrease. Like the, the question I often ask myself is like, if at the point in time when Ireland does legalize cannabis, like is the, is the desired form factor of cannabis for my parents, my aunties, my uncles, my cousins who, you know, probably don't have that level of openness to, you know, smoking something to experience its effects. Are they going to want dried flour or alternatively, are they likely going to seek out, you know, something like a beverage, you know, maybe a transdermal patch or a topical product? Mm -hmm. And I think as we see the overall percentage of market share for dried flour uh, reduce, I think that's going to be a pretty telltale sign that there's a whole new category of consumers who are who are coming online for the first time, which is, you know, the, the, the moms who perhaps, you know, have a, have a strong unwillingness to smoke cannabis, but if you present them with a beverage, you know, that is something mm. which they can relate to because I think that the stat is like 78.5% of Canadians over the age of 15 reportedly consumed alcohol last year, mm. whereas that same figure for cannabis consumption is roughly around 20%. Mm. Now, I don't know, was that an education problem whereby, you know, as a result of not being able to advertise on platforms like Instagram and Facebook, there is just a, a massive percentage of Canadians who aren't actually aware that cannabis does come in alternative form factors to dried flour. I, I personally think that likely is you know, a strong factor at play is that there's just a lack of awareness for these alternative form factors. Mm -hmm. However, as you have like large, you know, Fortune 500 companies, be it Molson Coolers or Constellation Brands coming into the space, I think one way or the other, they're going to make it their mission to make consumers aware that there is alternatives to dried flour. And I think at that point in time, the conversation itself even changes from cannabis to cannabinoids. Mm. Because today, the market is really built on top of cannabis. Like 75% of people consume dried flour. I would right. sort of consider that to be like the, the real true form of cannabis. Mm -hmm. However, in the future, and I know this is a conversation we've discussed in the past, but like with the sort of arrival of cultured cannabinoids and, you know, mm. there, there's 170 odd other cannabinoids <laughs> that are likely to be brought online, you know, in the coming years. I think with that, we're going to see a transformation and a sort of, um, we're, we're going to see a fork in the road whereby there's going to be a separation between cannabinoids and cannabis. Right. Because today, the primary way by which you consume cannabinoids is to consume cannabis. Whereas in future, I can't see that being the case. Mm -hmm. I can't see it being the case whereby 
you know, when, when large CPG companies do come in and they want to play within cannabis to capture market share because, you know, there's just so much revenue being generated on the back end of the popularity of cannabinoids. Like if they, if they have the choice between, you know, going to a company who can consistently produce any such cannabinoid which they want for their formulation versus that of having to, you know, actually put a seed in the ground and cultivate a cannabis plant to then wait, you know, four months to produce cannabinoids. I think it's pretty obvious which choice they're going to go for, mm -hmm. which is that they're going to partner with the biosynthesis companies who can produce, you know, any one of 178 cannabinoids uh, for them. At which point in time, I think that alone is really going to solidify the idea that there is going to be a pretty large distinction to be made between cannabinoids and cannabis. Mm -hmm. So I think long term, the sort of new category of consumers will likely won't even identify as cannabis consumers. I think they'll probably identify as consumers, consumers of cannabinoids. Mm. And I, I think that's going to be a really interesting moment for the industry. I think there's a lot of people in the space, like a lot of the OGs are probably, you know, turning off the podcast right now, even at the, the thought of that. <laughs> However, to me, to me, that just seems inevitable at this point in time. Like if, mm. the, if the underlying technology works as intended, I don't see any reason as to why that's not going to play out in that direction. Yeah, and you made a really good point about differentiating between cannabis and cannabinoids. And in the literature that we're using to identify, let's say, risks and effects of cannabis, it's always just cannabis used, cannabis and THC are used synonymously, which I think is really interesting. Right. They, of course, they don't take into account other cannabinoids. They don't take into account method of administration. A lot of these studies are based on people use, uh, consuming joints as a primary form factor, which, as we know, produces a lot of other carcinogens, produces a lot of other mm -hmm. variables that may affect um, how we really can draw conclusions about the effects of cannabis. So do you think that as we go on, we, we mentioned that THC may have um, more negative effects that are possible. And this is this is well known. I mean, we, we can argue that cannabis can be beneficial for a lot of people. The pros may even outweigh the cons in, in the case of medical reasons. Um, but there are undeniable negative consequences of using high THC um, without moderation for long periods of time. Um, do you think that as we go on, people are going to view these cannabinoids more as a supplement and stray maybe away from THC? I think there's a very high potential that will be the case. Mm -hmm. And I think with that, it, it sort of opens up a, a more broader conversation, which is like, as, as an industry, what is cannabis? Mm -hmm. like, is it a... Is it an industry built on the back of consumers seeking to consume substances for recreational purposes? Mm -hmm. Or is the cannabis industry a sort of wellness industry in disguise? Personally, right. I think it's the latter. And the reason why I, I suggest that is that if you actually look at the data as to why people primarily consume cannabis, it's for stress, it's to get a better night's sleep. Mm -hmm. It's those two factors kind of like make up like 75% of you know the self-reported reasons as to why people are choosing to, to consume cannabis. Mm -hmm. And... It is, it is potential. Like this is like a really interesting sort of um, rabbit hole to, to dive down is... Let's dive. Is THC popular, <laughs> is, uh, is, is THC popular because it's the best cannabinoid? Mm. Or is it popular for lack of choice? Right. Because it's, as things mm -hmm. stand today, there's only two cannabinoids. Mm. But if we are going to live in a future whereby, you know, there's 178 cannabinoids, which is probably like an understatement because, mm -hmm. you know, by the day we're nearly discovering an additional cannabinoid, we sort of have to ask the question, like, given that, to your point, there are sort of no negative side effects of consuming THC, particularly, and I, I should emphasize, everything in moderation. And if you consume mm -hmm. THC in moderation, those negative effects are significantly diminished. Mm -hmm. However, is it popular 
because it's the best or is it popular for lack of choice? Curious to get your thoughts on that. Yeah, I, I totally agree that due to lack of choice and as we mentioned, the illegality driving the most effective and the most psychoactive ones. And even if we talk in terms of terpenes, they've also been selectively bred because of the the high myrosine content, which is, again, the most psychoactive. If you look at all the the cultivars on, let's say, the OCS right now, there's an abundance of very high myrosine strains because those ones are, again, the most psychoactive. It's going to have the most sedating effects, whereas cultivars that produce less psychoactive effects due to their terpenes, uh, let's say pinene or limonene, were less bred because, again, that's not what people in the illicit market were after. So I, I do agree that the abundance of high THC cultivars has really sort of, it was all we had. So that was all people were consuming, and that's all where I think the cannabis culture has evolved from. And when we talk about the, the consumers of tomorrow, it's not going to be your 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 OGs, let's say, that that have originally kind of brought the, the plant along, but there's going to be a new wave. They're still going to exist. Let's, <laughs> let's be clear. Of course. They're still going to be around. If we had a conversation, you and I both still use THC. It has its time and place, but I do think there is going to be this new era of cannabis consumers, or as you said, cannabinoid consumers, that are more looking for specifically the health benefits with the least amount of psychoactive effects. Right. Um, and this can segue very nicely into where we were talking about cookies and using um cannabinoids like CBD and CBG along with something like lion's mane. And you've said to me before that you use lion's mane yourself, right? I do. Yeah, it's, it's, it's funny you bring that up because um, <laughs> from my perspective, I actually think it's a, I, I think it's a true sort of definition of the entourage effect. I think mm. it's a term which sort of has many meanings within the, the cannabis industry. Like mm. some people perceive it's like, you know, terpenes and cannabinoids that is the only sort of definition of the term entourage effect. But I actually think there's a, there's a better definition, which is that where the total is greater than the sum of its parts, mm. like i.e. one plus one equals three. So you have something like lion's mane, which I myself would consume on a daily basis. That is, you know, really, really beneficial from the standpoint of uh, improving your memory and like a whole other host of, of benefits. However, if you could really take cannabis to a whole new level, if you could actually create like custom formulations depending upon the specific outcome a consumer is seeking to achieve. So like if someone sits down, they're like, okay, you know, what do you actually want? Like, do you want the anti-inflammatory properties? Do you just want to feel better? You know, do you want better sort of uh, retention of memory? Right. Like it's kind of like the the perfect pill. Mm. And I, I hate to sort of <laughs> use that term, but I, I almost think that is the sort of inevitable direction mm. the industry heads in is whereby it's this highly personalized approach to mm. understanding what does the consumer want and then how do we provide them with it and mm. like that might come in the form of a capsule which you consume you know at the start of every day and then you just feel like 30 percent better right and if that is the case and if that is the direction the industry heads and i think at that point in time like it's, it's pretty conclusive to say that the industry is a wellness industry because like that quite literally is the definition of a wellness industry is whereby mm. you know you're consuming like a capsule. I shouldn't say the definition, but I think that's kind of the common perception of the wellness industry. So for me, I think that's where the industry heads in. I think we're sort of seeing some early signs of that as like more people sort of wake up to the realization that like THC is not the be all and end all and mm -hmm. companies like Cookies are sort of clearly at the, at the cutting edge of that as they're combining nootropics with cannabinoids. 
However, I think long-term, it's that alongside a whole new level of personalization. You can understand what the consumer wants and then you figure out, okay, what is the right sort of combination of molecules mm -hmm. to provide you with that optimal experience? Right, so you're telling me that a lot of people have a wide variety of different elements that they're seeking um, cannabis as a wellness tool for. And you're telling me that saying that this is fire, bro, smoke this, <laughs> for a high THC product as a blanket treatment isn't effective? Is that what you're telling me? <laughs> I, I think you hit the nail on this head. And like, yeah. the problem today is that if I'm a consumer and I go into a store, and I, I don't mean to uh, look down upon any blood tender because no, no. it's a position I was in myself. And I understand the difficulties of actually succeeding in that role, mm. given that, you know, you're quite literally being asked to make a, pro you're, you're being asked to make a product recommendation to someone, you know, perhaps with the knowledge or, or lack thereof that, cannabis affects everyone differently or rather the sort of the set of molecules that that make up cannabis will affect everyone differently they're seeking a desired outcome but you've no historical data as to how mm. you know past sort of um, chemical compositions of cannabis mm. have actually affected that user and yet you're meant to make a re product recommendation to you know 50 100 200 consumers on a daily basis that mm. helps them achieve their desired outcome first and foremost it's a completely unrealistic set of expectations to place on that group of individuals mm -hmm. But secondary to that, they're recommending the products which work best for them. And that's a problem because if we take at face value that the set of molecules that make up cannabis affect everyone differently, that is to say that if we were to consume the same product, there's a very high likelihood that we're going to report different effects. It's right. going to you know, deliver different value for us. That makes it almost impossible for someone to just make these sort of cookie cutter recommendations. Mm -hmm. And... I think long term, yeah, I, I think there is going to be a certain number of consumers pr probably on that list who from time to time, you know, they're okay with consuming something, you know, a high THC product. And mm -hmm. it, it might be sort of a, the, the, the indulgence they do on a, on a weekly basis. Sure. I, perhaps there's going to be consumers who maintain their consumption on a daily basis. And I honestly don't think there's anything wrong with that to each their own. It's their, it's their body of water. However, I think long term, it is going to be a far more personalized approach to understanding what works best for them. Right. And how that actually looks in practice, I don't think anyone knows. And I, I think for, I, I have my idea as to how it might work best for me as an individual, mm -hmm. but I think it's going to come down to what do you want mm. and how do we actually deliver you with that value proposition such that you can get what you want from consuming cannabinoids. And it's likely going to take us a decade to get there, but I think inevitably that is sort of the conclusion of cannabinoids. And I use the word cannabinoid as opposed to cannabis for good reason. You you made an excellent point in, in saying that some people are still going to seek the most intoxicating part as, let's say, a form of recreation, let's say as a form of leisure, in which case you're, you're receiving a lot less harmful effects from the next alternative, which is alcohol. But that really is the differentiation between medical and recreational. And I think where... If you ask me, having worked in, in the medical side, where medical is going to evolve is that hyper-customized approach and is really tracking the patient's journey of what has worked, what has not. And right. really, once we can identify from a genetic standpoint or let's say brain imaging standpoint, what has worked for you and what has produced your desired effects, then we can really dive into um, cannabinoids or uh, other supplemental fungi um, and really make that highly customized approach. 
I, I think you you hit the nail on the head with 10, 12 years maybe, but that's exciting. And it's exciting because it gives a lot more legitimacy to the medical patients that are using this to really um, treat their ailments and who want to and kind of have to hide the fact that they're cannabis users because they want to stay away from that it's fire bro mentality. Right. So I, I think the the more we invest into the medical research of cannabinoids, the more we can kind of um, separate that dichotomy of medical and rec. So I, I'm personally really excited for that. Yeah, I, I think the, the way by which you make the best distinction is by intent. Right. Like if your intention is to consume cannabis to get as fucked up as possible, mm. like you're not consuming cannabis for medical purposes. Whereas right. if you're consuming cannabis to address a specific ailment, be that, you know, mm. ADHD, whether that's chronic pain, whether that's, you know, you're currently undergoing chemotherapy and you need to stimulate your appetite. If that is your intent, I think it's it's very clear that your usage of cannabis is for medicinal purposes. Mm. Whereas, you know, the fire bro who literally just wants to get, you know, as intoxicated <laughs> as possible. Yeah. Like, that's, that's not medical cannabis. That's mm. not to say that there isn't medical benefit mm. being delivered to that mm. individual but he's not using it in a medicinal capacity. And right. I, I think the primary way you make that distinction is just to understand someone's intent. I'll, I'll argue actually um, that some of those people, I mean, I, I don't want to bash people that are getting intoxicated because it, it, it's not that that's what you were doing, but I don't want to bash people that are getting as intoxicated as they can and using as high THC strains that they can because for them, it could be a way of forgetting it could be a way of distraction it could be a way of um getting getting kind of closure and not thinking about some mental problems that they're going through and for them in the moment it's working but i think where where we're really going to evolve and help those people as well is helping them talk through what they're going through and what they're trying to avoid and that's where psychotherapy and that's where um uh like psilocybin therapy and MDMA therapy, I think is really starting to hit the nail on the head, is helping those people who are using it to really kind of distract and really dissociate, um, reassociate and really evaluate what they're they're dissociating themselves for, if that makes sense. <laughs> no, it makes a ton of sense. Like, I think if you're someone who, and I should say, like to each their own, like who am I to tell someone else what they right. can or cannot do with their body? Like if, if, you, if you want to smoke the highest THC every single moment, Every single moment of Go every ahead. single waking day. By all means. Like, be, be my guest. Yeah. It's, it's not going to put me up or down. However, if you are doing that, I think it is worthwhile asking yourself, why are you doing that? Mm -hmm. Like, is this something you're using as a means of escape? It is as escapism. And if you are, like, you know, better, better cannabis than alcohol. I'll, I'll be the first to say that. Yeah. However, I do think self-awareness is a really interesting topic. And I think it's super important that if you are consuming cannabis, you need to understand why you're consuming it such that you can understand what is the best product to sort of help you meet that desired goal. If you are someone who's using it as a means of escapism, perhaps psilocybin um, psychotherapy is a pathway you could sort of approach in order to resolve the underlying issues such that you can get to a point in time whereby you're using cannabis in a way which is a tool as opposed to necessarily being a crutch. Exactly. And that's where it's going. That's where the industry is going for. That's the, if you ask me, the natural evolution of what's going to happen. And I, for one, I, I'm incredibly excited. Um, Matthew, thanks so much for coming in today. Um, there was an incredibly thoughtful discussion, as always. I, I always appreciate you having on and, and having uh, 
your your thoughts come beautifully into my ears. Where can everyone find you? We can find you on 4 p.m. Yeah, honestly, 4 p.m. or LinkedIn. Like I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. I like to, to share my thoughts um, as frequently as possible. Um, despite the fact that I'm sure there's a lot of people out there who probably don't want to listen to them. Um, but yeah, honestly, if anyone, anyone wants to reach out, it's just matt at 4pm.co, uh, 4pm, F-O-U-R. Um, yeah, I'll always respond to any emails I receive or alternatively, if you want to shoot me a message on LinkedIn to, to kick off a conversation, I'll happily respond. Matthew O'Brien. What a great guest and what a fantastic way to kick off the series. He's incredibly insightful. I can always count on walking away from our conversations, learning new things. And if you want to hear more from him and his insights, subscribe to his blog. It's F-O-U-R-P-M.co. And if you want to hear more from me, you can subscribe through Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or through my website at coffeecannabis.ca. I'll see you next time.